Hello, everyone. We are here with Zara Marani. And for those of you who've been with us for a short time or you don't remember, or maybe you just missed some of the episodes that we put out, she was our very lovely guest for episode number 64. Um, and we spoke about uh, new builds and doing assignments on new builds. So um, she's from Marani Law and back today to share an investor quick tip with us. So hello, uh, Zara. How are you? Hi, Rob. I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Uh, that, yeah, it's very good to have you back. So we're here to talk about a little bit of a less conventional, less traditional form of real estate investing today, and that's private lending. So, Zara, I understand that helping private lenders secure mortgages on borrowers' homes rather than the borrower obtaining a mortgage from an institutional lender like the bank uh, is something that you have developed a niche in, right? Yes. So can you tell us a bit about a typical first or second mortgage and some of the benefits as well as maybe some of the risks with this type of investment? Sure. Thank you. Um, thanks, Rob. I, uh, yeah, we've developed quite a, a niche in this. There's been a sizable increase of private mortgage transactions in the market, particularly over the last say about 12 to 18 months and given the, the mortgage, the recent mortgage real changes and the stress testing, um, we've seen borrowers who typically have qualified for their mortgages at the bank um, prior to these new rules coming into place, um, and they no longer are able to qualify uh, despite the fact that their personal haven't substantially changed, um, and they can still afford the mortgage. But because of these rule changes um, and these people sort of being pushed out of a traditional institutional lending, um, it's caused... A, a, an increase in demand for the private lending um, or private lenders to come into play. And these people are generally individuals or small private corporations who uh, lend funds against secured mortgages. Um, sorry, they lend funds secured against the, as mortgages, which are secured against the borrower's home um, or investment property. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so, um, so you can actually do sort of both sides of this. If somebody has money to lend out, you can help them with that. And if someone's having a little bit of a difficulty getting qualified with the bank, then you can help them with that as well. Right. So we help our, you know, we, alongside with our trusted mortgage brokers who, who are a key part of this, uh, this whole transaction, um, we are able to put borrowers and lenders together um, so that they, you know, a borrower who needs funds uh, to close on a transaction where they're buying or um, refinancing, um, they are able to borrow from a lender who is putting their money out um, for, you know, a, a rate that's agreed between the two. So I'll I'll go into like a tip, you asked me about a typical first or second mortgage, and I'll go a little bit into that in a moment. But um, lenders, you know, typically they have a lot of control over these types of over these types of transactions in terms of risk factors and and going into these types of mortgages. Um, they can pretty much take as little or as much risk as they have an appetite for. Um, any transaction always comes with some form of risk, but of course with these transactions like the the mortgages being secured against property um as a charge which is registered 
in the land registry on title, just like any other mortgage that is is lent by the bank. Um, it, it sort of it gives them that security, and they are also because the market is currently unregulated for in this in this area. Um, lenders should definitely work with experienced professionals, including lawyers and mortgage brokers, um, who will be able to provide them with information for them to assess the risk factors. So they typically look at things like um, borrower's application strength, loan to value based on current appraisals, which the appraisals are done at the time of the transaction, um, credit worthiness of borrowers, they'll look at income, employment status, other assets and liabilities, uh, recent comparables of similar properties in the market. Also a really important thing for them to consider is exit strategy of the borrowers. Um, and also, the, of course, the location of the property. So those are some of the things that, that lenders look at and will have the opportunity to review in advance of making a decision as to whether or not this type of um, investment is for them. Um, so and, I was going to say, um, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that all sounds very typical. It's the same, same type of thing that any lending institution would be looking at when they're trying to decide whether or not they're going to lend on, on something as well, right? So right. nothing really different about that. Um, in some cases, what, like, would you say, what, what's the difference between, maybe some of the key differences between what one of these lenders would look for as opposed to the bank? Like, is it easier to qualify or would it be harder to qualify? What kind of rates are we getting? Like that kind of thing. Sure, sure. And I think probably walking you through a typical first or second or and a second will, will help to clarify that. The thing about this type of transaction is that with a private lender, it's up to the lender themselves. Uh, the qualification of the borrower is something that each individual lender um, will review and you know decide on whether or not they they want to go ahead whereas a bank has tick boxes and if you don't fall within their specific criteria they're not going to lend to you um, and with a private borrower maybe uh, sorry a private lender maybe one lender won't do it but another lender will do it maybe they have a higher risk for you know risk appetite um, it it's so it it is easier in a sense um, typically because the rates are higher too than with the banks uh, lenders are willing to sort of forego the entire you know they'll, they'll they'll say okay well you know I'm willing to go a little bit higher on the loan to value or I understand that the employment status, may, they may be self-employed and not showing a lot of income, but I see, you know, they can they can check the bank statements and whatnot. So whereas a bank might say, we don't do self-employed, um, a private lender can, can look a little bit deeper and see, all right, they're self-employed, but they're doing okay. And they can handle this and, and they can make their decision sort of based on less conventional criteria or less conventional view of the same criteria if you if you'll have it that way okay. um, they could decide so for instance let's let's take a look at an example um, a lender could say that you know they they could decide if they want to lend to a borrower that may have a credit score as high as in the 800s they may have a six-figure income and um, other properties that they own and they may be even putting 40 or 50% down payment 
um, or in the case of a refinance, they may have that sort of equity in the property. And the property, let's take it as this being in somewhere in the greater Toronto area. Um, this type of a first mortgage transaction could yield somewhere, hmm, sort of depends, maybe between seven and nine, potentially a little bit upwards of that type of percentage, seven to 9%, I'd say would be average. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the transaction, the length of time, the term could be anywhere from a couple of months, if it's say a bridge loan, and you know if, if they're financing in between the transactions, and typically up to no more than a year for our clients. So oh, okay. it would be relatively a short-term um, short investment uh, with say this up to 9% return. Um, and at that time, after a year, if the borrower wants to borrow again, the lender has the right to uh, the option to to grant the borrower a renewal, and if they do, they can also request a renewal fee, which would be payable to the lender at that time. Um, that's kind of you know your a first, not so like a lower risk first deal, um, because you've got a lot of equity in the property. You're looking at a, a centrally located property. And the borrower's credit score is high. They have good incomes. So, and somebody like you could find borrowers who potentially are builders and they're flipping properties. And so they just don't want to keep going to a bank or they don't, you know, they, they're in between um, transactions, in between different, owning different properties. And so they just want to be dealing with somebody that they can go to. And sometimes they, they have a relationship. So they'll borrow on one get what they have to get done with with that property, sell it, and then borrow on another, and they'll keep going with the same lenders. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, you've, you've got, let's say, a borrower with lower credit ratings, maybe in the 500s, sometimes even lower than that, but let's say around the 500s, asking for around, let, let's look at about 85% loan to value. Um, and the property, let's go on the outskirts of the city, um, and so along with this type of higher risk transaction, you could be getting on a second mortgage, um, 13 to 16%, potentially more depending on, depending on the, uh, you know, the details of the transaction, but I'd say on average somewhere in there. And that includes the lender fee, which is payable upfront, uh, which is typically, you know, one or 2% and then the interest rate on top of that. Okay. So, so I was going to ask you, Zara, thanks for sharing all that with us. And we could probably go, well, I mean, there's obviously much more in depth that someone needs to get if they're going to go into something like this. But for now, who should be reaching out to you? Is it those who are looking for loans or those looking to lend out funds? Like who, or, or both? Like who should be talking to you? Um, typically, uh, we represent uh, quite a number of lenders. And um, so lenders certainly, I mean, we can help both. We can help both for sure, but borrowers typically would more or less get in touch with the mortgage broker first. And if they don't have a mortgage broker, they can come to us and we can help them with that. Um, and lenders, what we have is sort of a pool of lenders who who lend their money and, and they'll say to us, you know, if, if you come across an opportunity, um, where there's a borrower 
via you know what the means that they that the borrower comes in that needs money i'd be interested and so they'll give us sort of a profile of what they're looking to do and we more or less you know we'll give them we'll forward them the opportunities that come to us so that if there's a match then via the broker we can close this deal and we do the legals on it so i would oh. say more we're more uh working with the lenders as a niche but we certainly can help the borrowers in terms of the closing their transaction side that's not a problem at all especially if there's a you know if a borrower needs a lawyer just to close a mortgage transaction that's then they already have the setup in place that's no problem okay so uh if if you're having trouble with your financing right now and you've maybe hit a wall get your mortgage broker to give zara a call then um how can people get in touch with you if they do want to do that then yeah, so they can call us at the office, uh, 647-351-7795. We are located downtown Toronto on 30 St. Patrick Street, um, and we have the fourth floor. But if, you know, we, we, we do work with borrowers and lenders outside of Toronto as well. So if that's their situation and you'd like to work with us, then get in touch and we can come up with a, a plan to, to work together. Um, also, we're online at www.moranilaw.com. Okay. And, uh, well, okay, that, I guess that does it for now anyways. I mean, like I said, we can go on. But thank you very much for that investor quick tip. I think that there are a lot of people who have sort of hit a wall, especially with the, the mortgage rules as they are and, uh, and, and that kind of thing right now. So depending on when you're listening to this, it might be a really good idea for you to uh, have get in touch with Zara. So thank you again. Thanks, Rob. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Dion Bake from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888 684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 81. Hello and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake. Here with me again is Sandy McKay. How you doing, Rob? Good, man. Really good. How are you? Awesome. Yeah, fantastic. So, I think uh, today we're going to look a little different as we get ready for our interview that's coming up later. We kind of did a, uh, uh, a mix of this video and the next one. So if you're watching, you're going to see, see a little different background and a little different clothing and, and everything for us. So Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think I was, I was in this room, right? I'm pretty probably, sure. Probably was. not, but we'll see. No. <laughs> Who cares? It's all good. Um, yeah. They'll understand. So what do we need them to do, first of all, before we get to the interview? think everyone should obviously go over to breakthroughreipodcast.ca, 
there you can see all of the episodes. So I've had some people reaching out to me recently, Sandy, about, um, I guess iTunes only stores the last 50 episodes or something like that. So as we continue, they, they, they're dropping them off. So, um, if you want to see some of their earlier episodes or hear some of the earlier episodes, um, you would have to go to breakthroughreipodcast.ca. What better reason to go? There you can. And they can jump on there and grab our uh, free report that we got the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. Um, They get that for free get on our email list at the same time and uh, hear about some of the updates we're, we're doing. And we're going to get a little better at sending out these uh, episodes every week, every, uh, every bi-weekly, I guess, as we do them to our, uh, our network there. So you get updated and reminded once a new episode comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually made a plan for that this time and followed through with it. So it's good. Five, five years, better late than never. <laughs> so uh, five years of doing the show, if you can believe that, we're actually right around five years at this point. Um, as we're recording this. So that's pretty cool. You're right. We are. And um, what else? So, uh, oh, you know what? We've got the Facebook page up and running now too. So yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. We'll, we'll be doing a little better job of uh, marketing this now. And uh, after five years, you know what? There's a bit of competition out there. We got to maybe improve our, our systems a bit with this stuff. So um, for five years, it's been like, we've been the only ones out there, but uh, we're still the best. Yeah, you know what? Our, our listenership has been super organic. It's just sort of uh, word of mouth. You know, one person tells another person about it. So hopefully now we'll get out there some new people who are just dying to hear all of these uh, interesting guests and all of their info that they have to share. Yeah. So mm-hmm. today we have uh, the Mothers of Real Estate, and they have a new course that they are offering, and it's fantastic. I actually went through it myself. Uh, not too long ago, and we're going to be teaming up with them as far as um, getting it out there for people to hear about. So we, but you know, this was, they mentioned it in there, but this was an interview more based on uh, their knowledge and what they can share, right? So each of them has a different strategy that they use. And I found the interview really uh, interesting and motivating really because they, they, like they all have families, lots of kids, and uh, and they're still able to plow forward and push forward and really make this investing thing work as mothers and and uh, as women. You know, there's not as many women real estate investors out there, so it's um it's good to hear from them. Yeah, they're getting a lot of stuff done, and uh, I'm not sure if we share it because we didn't have the link ready yet. But uh, in the show, they're going to talk about their course a little bit. Uh, and they're going to share, we're going to share with you the link to get a, a, a coupon to get a, a good chunk of money off that course. So I think we can share the link now. Can we not? Yeah, I think we got it here somewhere. It is breakthroughreipodcast.ca forward slash more. So M-O-R-E. Yeah. M-O-R-E. Yeah. Mothers of real estate. There you go. So you will hear, um, you'll hear about the course. And if you're interested, go over there and check it out. And uh, if you enter our coupon code, breakthrough then you will get uh, 100 bucks off the purchase price. So not too bad, right? Awesome, man. It's a great course. They'll share a little more about it. Uh, and I, they're not going to pump it up too hard in this uh, episode. We're going to talk, uh, you know, bring some value to everyone. But they definitely mentioned it. It's going to be, we, we went and looked at it a little bit further. It's a great course, great opportunity for people to really launch themselves into, into more, of a, more of an actual career in real estate investing. So it's cool. 
So here it is, our interview with the Mothers of Real Estate. So returning to the show, we have Jillian Irving, Rachel Oliver, and Monica Jazik, otherwise known as the Mothers of Real Estate. And if you remember back, they were our guests on episode 41, which was two and a half years ago now. It doesn't seem like that long, but wow, it was that long ago. Um, welcome back, guys. We're glad that you could all join us today. Thank you. It's great to be back. Now, I'm going to jump right into something that I love. You guys got your own TV show since we last spoke. That's pretty exciting. So let's, uh, let's talk about that. How did that all come about? Well, actually, when we were originally out spreading the word, uh, trying to encourage mothers and others to invest in real estate, we were doing a lot of appearances on other people's um, television shows which was fantastic because we wanted to make sure as many people as possible um, were reached. And we really enjoyed the experience. We love how these television hosts were really, really doing a fantastic job spreading the word. We thought, hey, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if we created our own show that had not just one, but three hosts or hostesses, I should say. And, um, you know, we could make a more, a more approach and get our, our message across from three points of view. Is so, it called, yeah. sorry? sorry, I was going to take a stab at it. Is it called The View on Real Estate? It's <laughs> no? funny that you say that because that's exactly what we were going for. We were totally going for the view type of approach. So three investor ladies, females, have to be mothers, sitting around kind of a kitchen table, um, which turned out to be, in the end, more of a newsroom table but just chit-chatting about real estate, markets, happenings, and having other guests on. So that was our, our first idea, and we presented that to Rogers. Uh, they accepted the idea. We had an amazing time presenting all um, our episodes, and sometime during that period, we were actually um, approached by a national producer who said, hey, why not take this you know, nationally, airing across Canada and some parts of the U.S.? So that was another great experience. So we actually had two shows, not one. And what, what were they, were they called the same thing? Yep. Yeah. What is it called? The Mothers of Real Estate TV show. Oh, great. <laughs> nice and simple, straightforward. That's what you get. Yeah, and if somebody missed us on, on the air on CHCH, they can always catch us on our YouTube channel. We have some of the episodes posted on YouTube, so somebody just has to search Mothers of Real Estate and uh, we'll pop up. Great, okay. Um, so why don't we go back a bit then. Let's hear a little bit more about how each of you got started in, in real estate. What's been, what's been that process for all of you? I can start. Um, uh, I got started back in 2009. Oh my gosh, it's almost 10 years now. Um, and, you know, I'd read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and the whole idea, the notion that someone else could be paying off your mortgage for you just sounded super smart to me. So I went for a run one day and I came back and I said, honey, we're buying a house. Um, and he said, what? You just went to go like run around the corner. So I bought this this beautiful property in a really up and coming part of Toronto. Um, and, you know, it was kind of on a whim, actually. Um, and I refinanced the property two years later. And it's funny, that was when all my nerves about real estate investing really started. I'd managed to buy this really great property kind of out of luck. 
back. Um, and then I, I, was, I was afraid to move forward. I wanted a strategy that was thought out um, because you know I have a disabled son, I have three other children, and I wanted to create kind of a strategy that could take me to the future. And so that's when I reached out and I got a coach. So I, wanted, I feel like it was really a couple of years later that my true, true, true investing um, journey began. It didn't really start with the house, but that one house, but that was the segue obviously. And, um, so yeah, that's how I, that's how I got started. I got a coach. Monica, why don't you tell us how you got started? Well, um, I got started investing in real estate, very similar in a way to, um, Jillian's story. I did not go for a run, but I was experiencing, you know, I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad after experiencing how frustrating it really was, um, trying to do things the conventional way. So we have four kids. I think we had um, two uh, when I was trying to, you know, be a stay-at-home mom. I didn't want to go to work. I wanted to, to um, you know, be home with our children. And we were trying to do all the conventional things, getting by on one salaries, budgeting and growing our money in mutual funds and just with our friendly financial advisor. And it really, really wasn't working. 2008 came, um, we, it really wasn't working then. Our negative results were even worse, which is when we decided let's take matters into our own hands. Red Rich Dad, Poor Dad, we're so inspired um, and had to kind of self-teach ourselves about the very, very uh, basics of investing in real estate and ended up going out and started buying properties on our own and um, eventually getting four properties, uh, one for each one of our children, that we figured out how to fund their university education for these four properties. So through investing in real estate, um, not only did we achieve the goal of me being at home now for almost 14 years, but also for being able to fund those big ticket items in life, such as their university education for four kids, and also being able to, um, you know, like create our own retirement account rather than being dependent on this mutual fund market like we were doing before. And and uh, you, so both you and Jillian have four kids. Yes. Yep. That's amazing <laughs> that you still can can get all this <laughs> stuff done, because I mean we're going to talk about it in a little bit, but you guys have developed this really in depth course, and we're going to go into it in a little bit, but. That looks like a lot of work because there is a lot of really good information in there. So just the fact that you can juggle your families mm -hmm. and still get all of that done as well is very impressive. I got, I have two kids and they're both boys and most recently over the last little while, like they're eight and six and they seem to be taking up an enormous amount of my time. Um, mostly voluntarily, I suppose, but there is a lot of, uh, <laughs> There is a lot of nurturing that needs to be done right now. <laughs> so uh, impressive that you guys were able to get all this done. Yeah, we always say between us, everything. we have 10 kids. Yeah. So we also have to clarify that we don't live in a concubine and they aren't joint kids. <laughs> we have our own individual families and our own individual businesses with our own kids. But sometimes you find yourself saying that and then it's kind of, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a visual thinker, but. People think we jointly have 10 kids or something. Yeah, 10 between them. They're just <laughs> all in the next room. 
Exactly. Um, Rachel, how about you? How did you get started? Well, um, so I have two kids. I have obviously less than Jillian and Monica, but my two little divas, sometimes it feels like I have a, a house full of like mm -hmm. four kids. They do take up an enormous amount of my life. And, and that's obviously something that I intended. And that's probably the number one reason why I am where I am with regard to my real estate investing journey. About uh, kind of like Jillian, about 10 years, 10, almost 10 years ago, I said to my husband that I wanted to create more cash flow and have a little bit less dependence on our corporate jobs. Because as much as I loved my work and as much as my husband loved his work, it really seemed to eat up a lot of our time and we couldn't dedicate as much uh, time to taking vacations, spontaneous outings. You know, once kids come into the mix, they, they really take precedence over everything else. And if I'm sitting in a boardroom in a meeting with, you know, my male court, uh, you know, uh, co-workers and my male boss, and then I get a phone call from the daycare saying, your child is sick, you have to pick her up. I got to drop everything and I run and run. And I remember just seeing the eyeballs kind of looking at me going, really, you're putting your kid first? Don't you have someone else to deal with that? And I was like, no, I'm a mom. And I, I got tired of justifying that. So, um, so for me, the, the cash flow was really uh, triggered after I became a mom. We had a two-year-old and I kind of said to my husband, Mr. No, who's extremely conservative and really was kind of raised to think about, you know, you go to work, you get a paycheck and you know, you support your family. So when I said to him, let's think a little bit outside the box. We don't have to rely on our paychecks for our future. It, it, he really had a hard time wrapping his head around that. <laughs> and then and then I said, okay, well, let's try. We lived in Durham at the time. We were in Ajax. So I said, let's go out and start looking at some real estate properties because everybody kind of defaults to a, a rental property. And I thought, well, I'm going to be no different. I'm going to go house hunting with a real estate agent. And so we went looking at properties in Durham. And the properties that were in our budget seemed to have, you know, a lot of tenant and toilet issues that I did not see myself living with. Um, they were cash flowing about $180 a month on average. And back then I thought, that's it. Like, really? I can't really see myself replacing a six figure income with 180 bucks a month. And then if these weird tenants would do something to my property, I'd have to bring in a plumber to fix that toilet. And how many, you know, how many plumbers would eat up all my cash flow? So it was just kind of, it didn't seem to add up and we kept getting stuck in analysis paralysis. We kept looking at the numbers and running the numbers and the numbers just weren't making sense. And I didn't know, well, why do people do it? And finally we kind of stepped away from the idea because we just weren't confident. And we moved uh, off of the idea of investing in real estate. Fast forward 10 years, the Durham market, holy cow, it's, it's sizzling hot. And I, and I really regret that we didn't know enough back then uh, to have made a move, but where we did end up was kind of cool. Um, out of necessity, I, I looked at other strategies that allowed a little bit more peace of mind and allowed a little bit more re um, real cash flow. And that's what brought me to the rent to own space. And uh, we started focusing on that strategy. We pulled money out of our, our personal residence and we invested in a few rent owns. And back then they were a lot more affordable because we didn't have to have a big down payment. We had great credit, we had great jobs. So it was really easy to convince the bank to just give us mortgage after mortgage after mortgage. And then we tapped out and we started thinking, okay, well, we'll sit on the sidelines and the rent owns to turn over. <laughs> and uh, then we got phone calls from other people who needed our help. So we started helping them out by putting deals together. And, you know, fast, fast forward um, nearly 10 years, we've done over 250 rent to own deals and going strong.
Wow. Super impressive. So that is your, your strategy of choice and you're sticking with it. Absolutely. I love the cash flow. In fact, I've, I've been um, nicknamed a few times at a few places, the queen of cash flow, because it's true. In today's market, it's really difficult to find cash flow that is above average. And we have adapted to the ebbs and flows of the real estate market. We've adapted to the ebbs and flows of the financial um, rules and regulations. And we're still able to generate strong return on investment, strong cash flow. So if it ain't broke, <laughs> keep, keep working at it, right? And now um, rent to owns are sort of, sort of looked at by a lot of people as, uh, let me rephrase that. Sometimes these deals don't close, right? Because of extenuating circumstances or the, uh, or the um, buyers decide not to, not to go through with it or whatever. Have you, had a, have you had any of those circumstances? We've, uh, in the beginning, we certainly noticed that there was a few gaps, but we also figured out a way to close in on those gaps. When we first got started, the word on the street was that rent owns generate maybe a 50, 50 you know, kind of um, success rate. And that just wasn't good enough for Neil and I. So we looked at gaps in the process and identified areas where we can enhance it so that we can get a stronger um, percentage of people finishing the rent-to-own process and exiting into their own mortgage. And so that our return on investment is as it was intended to be. So we have a 90% success rate, actually, Rob. We're very proud of the fact that basically nine in 10 complete our rent-to-own process successfully and exit into their own mortgage. And we have you know, a, a pretty, pretty predictable cash flow and return on investment throughout the three year rent own term. Mm -hmm. And when you say 90%, like, I mean, actually the other 10% are not failures either, because basically you just go through the process again with the same house. Right? Yes and no. In some cases, it makes sense to sell the property. In some cases, it makes sense to put the property into a buy, rent, hold portfolio. In some cases, it makes sense to re-rent to own it. There's different things that happen for different markets depending on the seasonality of when the rent own is not working. But most of the reason that we have um, a 9 in 10 uh, kind of success rate is because the people who are in the rent home process have something that happens. So divorce and separation and job loss, those are things that are outside of our control and certainly aren't impacted by the rent home itself. So if someone gets divorced and separated, or separated or divorced, they can't keep up with the monthly payments of the rent home commitment. That's not the fault of the rent to own. That's just something that they're going through. So they step away from the rent home process in that case. That's really the, the number one reason why our rent owns are not 100% successful. Um, but if you kind of take the divorce and separated and job loss people out of the equation, we have technically 100% success. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I mean, not only that, I mean, for your company, it's not like I was, tr I'm trying to get the point across that, you know, even if the house doesn't sell, like, and then you have to sell it on the market because you'd rather sell it because it's increased in value a certain amount uh, more than you expected or whatever. And the, and the deal doesn't go through, you know, I'm just saying that your 90% success rate is actually really a hundred percent success rate. When you yeah, look at you're it. right. You're right. You're absolutely right. And the, the beautiful part is that if a rent owned does go sideways, if there is any volatility, it's always, it always still favors the investor side because uh, the investor profits from the cash flow, uh, the well-maintained property, because there's no maintenance and repairs in a rent home. And of course, the tenant buyers that start the process come in with a down payment, a substantial down payment. So they have a lot of skin in the game and that 
money stays with the investor if they default or if they walk away. So there's a lot of um, cushions there for the investor, which is why, which is the number one reason why my very skeptical husband overcame his fear of investing in real estate because he had all those cushions in there. But we needed a system and we needed to learn how to do it. So it wasn't just like, you know, the, we, we turned on a switch. Uh, th there was a huge learning curve and it involved understanding what kind of what what's the step-by-step step and how do we rinse and repeat it in order to generate the returns that we've seen mm -hmm. thank you for eloquently uh explaining what i was trying to say <laughs> <laughs> um so now that that works really really well and it probably has a tremendous success rate when you do go through a boom that we just went through here so i mean that obviously favors the tenant buyer and 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 it does well for you too but what about in a market where things are flat like how do you handle a rent on in that kind of circumstance so we generally don't go into a market that has any potential for flatlining when you focus on a strategy you understand what is going to make that strategy successful. So there's very specific criteria that we look at in a specific market. And also um, the other aspect is that we play in a very specific price point. When when um, we're kind of the entry level, you know, with rent to owns, we're not going after the seven, eight hundred thousand dollar properties or even the six hundred thousand dollar properties. We're playing in a safety zone of about three fifty to four fifty. So you have your first time buyers, entry level buyers coming in and they're causing demand. So there's a lot of competition at that price point. And when there's competition at that entry level price point, it ensures that the values are going to be constant. And in about 250 rent to owns, we have not seen a market um, work against us. And again, we adapt the process because we're focusing on markets that have the key fundamentals. I mean, I think every real estate investing strategy has to um, be at the mercy of understanding how those market fundamentals work. So. And then there's unique fundamentals that apply to the rent to own strategy. So we are not, we, we are not, because we're so strategic and because we specialize in, in this, we are not anticipating that we will have those challenges. But if there is anything can happen, and I know you're trying to get to the what if question, if there is any volatility, the, the reality is the people that have put a down payment down on a property, they want to own it and they've been looking after it and caring for it. If there's a downward market, the investor can't sell that property. So the amicable thing to do is to ride out that wave, put together a, a, a lease agreement for the term of the downturn, and then reevaluate when the market comes back up and um, enter a sales agreement. And that truly becomes a win-win in a crappy situation. That's our approach. Okay, I like that. Really good. So let's hear about some other uh, strategies. Uh, Monica, I know you do something a little bit different. I'm the boring buy, rent, hold of the group. So like I said, we started off with the four properties with four kids, and we learned a lot of lessons throughout um, our real estate investment journey. So many, we actually wrote a book about it, Real Estate Mistakes. And um, that's kind of, you know, we started off on our own, and then we kind of figured out one mistake I did make was we were investing for cash flow. So we were investing for cash flow initially because I was looking to replace that income. But one thing I've really learned throughout our investment journey is investors, you always want to be cash flow positive, but you really don't want to chase cash flow. It really is like Julie Broad's book says more than just cash flow. 
So there's a lot more about uh, buy, rent, hold. It's about buying more in those high growth areas. Um, and I think the mistake that we made was we were reading in the books. We started on our own um, to move forward. And then we ended up over investing in courses, which were really, really encouraging us to kind of chase that cash flow. Now, they're encouraging people regardless of the areas. What they're, what they're ignoring is the economic fundamentals. So when we started out, we kind of started investing in an area that is a bit off the beaten map, which was Timmins, Ontario, which is a perfect example of how we had really, really high cash flow. And we were actually very, very, very successful in that market. But later down on the line, say five, seven years, one thing we kind of really noticed was we weren't benefiting from the appreciation. So when we went through all these mistakes that we write about, we had to really stop and start over. We really are encouraging investors, like Rachel said, to take a more systematic approach in investing in real estate. Um, you can invest in buy, rent, hold, but you're never going to get really rich off the cash flow. It's really hard to be financially free and replace mm. your income just through the cash flow. The best thing that buy, rent, hold real estate really is for is, although you always should be cash flow positive, it really is more for those bigger ticket items in life. And the most amazing and powerful thing about Byron Hold Real Estate is one or two properties can change your entire financial portfolio. You don't need to have 100 properties. Having 100 properties is like having 100 kids. So if you are looking for more <laughs> an active um, income replacement, you could do Byron Hold, and Jillian, I'm sure, is going to tell us all about that through, through her, her specific strategy, or you know, mix up your portfolio with a, a rent-to-own and a student rental as well as maybe a couple vibrant pool properties. And then wealth planning, it really, you just have to make sure all seat, everyone's in the right seat on the bus. If you're doing long-term planning, I think Byron holds great, but I'm just really here to dispel that myth. Um, chasing cash flow, not appreciating areas. They look great on paper, but in real life, it doesn't happen a lot of the time. Yeah, they do say that appreciation is the icing on the cake, but you can sort of hedge your bets in your favor, right? By going to the right locations to buy the properties yeah. at the right markets. And not just chasing, chasing, um, you know, in these low growth areas where you buy it for $100,000, uh, a five plus. Wow, that sounds great. On paper, it's a cash cow, but in reality, no tenants are paying their rent. You go to sell it in five years and it's still $100,000. Maybe it's $80,000. Maybe you overpaid for it. So, mm -hmm. Well, even if they are paying their rent and then you are getting good cash flow, like you said, it's, and it's, so it's worth the same thing in five or 10 years down the road. Yes. That's and just you not can what we're looking that for. way too. You know, even if you do, um, you know, you have to respect the fact, let's pretend you, you are in a position where you do want to invest for cash flow. Okay. Like we have buildings bringing in thousands of dollars a month and they're in lower appreciating areas, but it is what it is. So investors really need to have an eyes wide open approach in also knowing what it is. Yes, I understand that this market may be a little more volatile than Oshawa, you know, um, so maybe Windsor, for example, is a great market to invest in. It's a lower price point, you're gonna get higher cash flow. It is appreciating, but is it as secure as an investment as Barrie or Hamilton or Oshawa? It's not such a sure thing. So even if investors, when they're identifying new areas, you just have to really um, take it for what it is. Don't fool yourself 
with the cash flow. Just have an eyes wide open systematic approach to investing for sure. Very good. I like what we're hearing from you guys so far. We aim to please. <laughs> well, all, all three of you then are in, are in different, uh, different types of real estate invest, use different strategies. So Jillian, what, uh, what strategy do you focus on? Well, people think I'm the crazy one because I actually love student rentals. Um, I'm sort of a hybrid of, of, of Rachel and Monica. Monica and I both have this like long-term play in mind, but I love the cash flow. Like a rent-own, a student rental can often have super high cash flow as well. But, you know, in my mind, these are buy-hold for the long-run properties in markets that are hopefully going to have great appreciation. So the, they were selected with the fundamentals in mind. But that strategy was chosen to, you know, to have robust cash flow. So I bought houses where it was a single family home that had three bedrooms and I put two more in, or it was a single family home that had a big wide open basement and I put four bedrooms in there. So, um, so I could force great cash flow out of these single family properties in great, in great locations. You know, student rentals, people have this vision about it being, you know, bongs and parties and you know the living room couch ending up on the front lawn and you know they they conjure up these images of of animal house and you know for good reason right there's some pretty crazy kids out there um but you know i in my in my heart um and you know it's it's born out sort of the statistics like University is the destination for these kids. Many of them are busting their chops all through high school and universities where they want to end up. And at the end of the day, really, they're not going to not pay their rent. So in fact, rent defaults is not something I worry about, you know, staying on top of maybe perhaps the damage is something that we have to be more mindful of. Um, but there's certainly super easy ways to, um, to circumvent those issues and you know, parents are now well used to being guarantors and to ensuring that whatever damage happens is fixed and repaired. So, um, so student rentals for me is like this great hybrid between a juicy cash flow like Rachel wants and the long-term play like Monica does. Um, and then we just have to protect ourselves for the areas where we know there to be problems occasionally, right? Jillian, do you manage your own student rentals? Oh, heavens no. Are you kidding? Like my, <laughs> no way. Um, you know, I, again, so this is about the cash flow, right? Some people are like, I want to suck, extract every dollar of cash flow out of this property. And why would I offload, you know, management to someone else? Because I want that, you know, 200 bucks a month or whatever the property management fees are. My feeling is that my time is better directed towards strategically thinking about my business. I let my property managers deal with the, the toilets and the tenants and the everything else. And I have nothing to do with it apart from, you know, helping select the tenants and, and that kind of stuff. But really, I try to stay as far away from the tenant issues as possible. So as far as the management goes of the actual property, you, you've essentially got the same thing as anyone else that's investing in, like, you don't invest right by where you live, right? So you're a little bit outside of that. Um, so anyone that's investing a little bit further away is probably going to get somebody to manage the properties for them. It's no different than to buy a student rental where you can get that great cash flow. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I do, I do have a rental property actually right around the corner from where I live in Toronto. That was the first property I bought, but uh, I quickly moved 
away um, when I decided I wanted to land on the student mental strategy. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's in Hamilton and there's some in St. Catharines, Welland, um, but nothing, no student rentals close to home. Jillian, we've got some good opportunities in Peterborough. I'm just saying. Oh, no, I've, I watch, I, I look at Peterborough a lot. I, I know it's a great town, strong fundamentals, good school. Good schools, two of them. Yeah, it's amazing. Peterborough is uh, great for buy rent hold. There you go. Like, you add that basement suite. It's a great combination. Sounds like a great combination. Do that? <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a commercial for Peterborough. Um, okay, so what are we, we going to talk about next year? How did you guys end up joining forces? We haven't talked about that yet. Oh, my. How did we end up joining forces, Rachel? Well, I think a lot of it happened on that couch that you're sitting on. <laughs> and lots of coffee. That's right. Actually, conversations. So I was reading the Canadian Real Estate Wealth magazine. There's a nice little plug for our industry publication. And uh, what stood out for me was an article about this amazing blonde chick that uh, there's a picture of her with her four kids and her um, handsome hubby. And it talked about how she um, had a portfolio. I think it was 18 doors in 18 months. Is that correct? Is that what I remember? This was a few years ago, probably about three or four years ago. And I'm like, I got to get to know that chick. She's on fire. And there's so few articles about women successfully pursuing the real estate investing journey that I just like, oh, okay, earmarked it. And then one day um, I signed up for a meet a meetup that I saw being hosted by a woman named Monica Jazik. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. She's hosting a meetup in the same place that I host a meetup, which, um, which we've our paths have never crossed, but we host a meetup for real estate investing in the same place. So I thought, okay, that's kind of cool. I got to go. And the next thing I know, I'm getting a phone call from the same Monica Jazik saying, Hi, I noticed you're also a real estate investor. We should get together. We're in the same area. Let's meet up for coffee. And I thought, wow, what a great thing. You know, she's reaching out. Let, let's connect. Why not? So Monica basically uh, gathered Jillian and me at her house in Markham. And that's where we started comparing war stories about our journey and how lonely <laughs> it was most of the time. Do you guys remember that? And how, how well we related to one another because there are so few female investors in the industry, but there's even less women who are also mothers. And everyone needs to notice that we were mothers before investors. Some, some female investors were investors and then they became mothers, which is very challenging. But our unique challenge was being mothers first and foremost. So our underlying message for more really is if we could do it, anyone could do it because we have every excuse under the sun not to invest in real estate. Parents don't have any money. We certainly don't have any time. You know, fortunately we had the knowledge so now we can help others. But you know, we, we, we just kind of could relate to these obstacles. And it was just so refreshing having a conversation with other female investors, which could range from, Oh, I did a $20 million acquisition last week to oops, my laundry, I left it in. I, I, I don't know if I put it in the dryer and everyone laughs because they can relate. I mean, female investors who have kids have a totally different, you know, way of, of talking to each other. So it, it's, it's very interesting too, that um, you guys all have your different strategies and yet you were getting together and, um, and being able to support each other in like in their own paths not mm -hmm. to uh, sort of veer off and start doing things the same way. 
I like that. Well, and, and we realized too, actually, this is, I mean, even at the first time when we got together, we, we, we recognized that between the three of us, we had this really incredibly comprehensive view of the real estate world um, that, you know, our three brains together pretty much covered everything there was to know real estate wise. And we recognized really early on that that would make us such a formidable team to work together, right? Because we did have these specialty, these subspecialties each. And, um, and so together, we were really, really strong team. Mm -hmm. The whole yeah. exact idea behind a mastermind, right? Yeah, yeah. And it just kind of happened. It all sort of fell into place. And that's when we started inspiring and talking to, to people, sharing. It's like three mothers, all investors, but three totally different stories, like to totally different reasons why we started doing this in the first place, and, but and totally different strategies. I don't think there's really an area that we really can't provide counsel on, which, which is also quite unique. I think the obstacles is something that also bonded us. Um, although we have very different strategies and we are doing this um, for different reasons, we all and we all kind of shared the same issues along the way. And in fact, we even shared the same uh, mentor and coach. We didn't know this, but we all at some point or another coached exactly with the same woman um, way back when. And so we were learning kind of the, sa the same information and applying the same information, overcoming certain challenges. But the one thing that was the constant that really, really bonded us, I think, was our why. We all had a very strong why that was anchored in something that was deeply connected to us. And that why is what allowed us to overcome all of those crazy challenges that we've encountered along the way on our journey. And there, there, there's always going to be challenges. Yeah. And so when, once you left the couch, where did it go from there? We just took it on the road, Rob. <laughs> a bit of, a, yeah, Mother's a Real Estate Road Show. And uh, yeah, we, we were invited to speak at the local clubs. Um, we did lots of podcast stuff. We were on various stages, big, small. And we got to meet other people who could relate to our story, which was really wonderful. And we got a lot of, you know, a lot of great questions. People not could, you know, once they could relate, they also wanted to understand how can I learn? How mm -hmm. can I do what you're doing? Teach me. And as, you know, as Monica said, <laughs> as parents, as mothers, as uh, successful business um, owners, we, you know, don't have the time to do a lot of mentoring and coaching, but we still really wanted to to put something out there to make it easier for women and men or parents in general mm -hmm. to get into the real estate investing world and not make mistakes or not take the, you know, not risk everything that they had. Because when I was doing this, I felt like I was risking the roof over my head mm -hmm. and I, I, could, I could not imagine that feeling again. So we wanted to save people the time and the agony of that. So we put together a course uh, that people can access online. You know, they don't have to go out to these weekend workshops, try to cram all that knowledge in for three days, pay, pay an exorbitant price tag. We, we did keep it with parents in mind. They can have it delivered to their own living room and do it at their own pace. And, you know, we have a Facebook community where they can reach out. They can ask questions. We can have that ongoing support. So we're, we were keeping people in mind with their busy schedules, parents, non-parents, the mothers, mothers of real estate is just mothers of real estate because we're mothers. It really isn't a program that's just for mothers. It really is for anyone who is looking for the fundamentals of real estate. We just happen to be mothers, which is why it's the mothers of real estate. So, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think because I went through the course, and we'll talk about the course now. I went through the course. Um, you know, you guys shared it with me, and I thought that it was really, really comprehensive and and very step by step approach for people that were just starting out learning. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I'm that's not- the goal. That's just the idea, right? Is that you know, if you can hitch your cart to somebody else's wagon, if you can follow tracks. If there's like a, a proven step-by-step system that you can do yourself, really that's what all of us as beginners want is just to, to kind of take the fear and the guesswork out of, out of something. And that's really what this course was designed to do, which was just to kind of show you stepwise how to get started um, and, you know, and then how to progress forward without, you know, without all the fear components. Right? And the fundamentals is really all that these investors really need. It's like when Warren Buffett says, um, a four-year-old should be able to describe an investment model with grant real estate. There really is only one way to do real estate, and it all starts with these fundamentals. I think a lot of these expensive courses out there that we kind of took when we started out, the reason for our mistakes was that we kind of we 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 skimmed on the fundamentals, went into a bunch of supersonic intense strategies, and focused on that. Whereas in reality, to invest in real estate, the fundamentals need to be solidified first, you know, and you don't necessarily have to have some fancy schmancy strategy. I mean, I was doing about, we did over a hundred transactions our first year in real estate and all of went bankrupt. We were doing very, very well, but we were making a lot of mistakes because we didn't have the support that we needed. We were doing too much too soon. And rather than focusing on the simple strategy, and that's what ended up getting us financial freedom is stopping, regrouping, doing the things that are taught in this course to create a very, very safe and sound real estate model. And that is what we rinse and repeat and follow. And we rinse and repeated ourselves to financial freedom opposed to our investor guru days where we thought we were so super important and we were running around like chickens with our heads cut off, focusing on all these fancy strategies. So, you know, you really should be able to explain investing in real estate. All it takes is a simple self-explanatory program because a confused mind doesn't act. So we kept it as simple as possible, but don't let that confuse you because there is everything you need to know to really uh, create your own real estate system as well. So as simple as it is, all the advanced concepts and training tools are in there. We're just so good we made it simple. <laughs> so Rob, I, just, I just want to point out one, one very... Um... Uh, one very important thing. So on my journey, I mean, I've been at this for about 10 years and I, I, I go to a lot of events and I go to, to a lot of meetings and I go to courses and a uh, member of various, you know, expensive clubs and less expensive clubs. And one thing that I've noticed consistently is that all of these venues, they are great for keeping you um, inspired and keeping you motivated and uh, keeping kind of your, your hand on the pulse. But what they do tend to uh, sidestep is the, 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 the steps, the actual recipe. How do you generate the rinse and repeat? How do you actually get off the ground? You don't need a huge expensive membership to a club in order to understand how, what the steps are and what the key fundamentals are. And then when you go to all these clubs and other platforms, you just enhance your knowledge rather than that, that being the place where you actually learn the steps. So that was missing for me. And that's one of the reasons I really supported this passion project with the Mothers of Real Estate to create uh, a course that was really fundamentals oriented, very affordable and accessible. And I'm really proud of what we ended up creating. 
Okay, so yeah. I was just going to say, well, we'll get into, let's get into a little bit about what, what is actually uh, inside the course. But I was going to say, you know what, I really relate to that because when I first started going to real estate clubs, I had no knowledge whatsoever. I had one rental property that I bought pretty much by accident. Um, mm -hmm. But when I started going to real estate clubs, what I would do, this was my move. I would just nod my head as if I knew what they were talking about. Um, you know, while these, while these people were up talking about whatever they were talking about, advanced strategies, like you said, and I had no idea what they were saying for the most part. But that's the thing. You can't, like, there's not really a way for these um, investment clubs and that kind of thing to keep going if they only explain the same introductory uh, yeah. approaches every single time. So I get, I get why, but like you're saying, it, it makes more sense to rely on a course that's specifically designed for people who are just getting into it and want to learn the most important things in, a, in an order. Because I find that that is really important too, is the order of which th things are taught in. Absolutely. And for anyone out there who's, who's watching um, and you're going to these clubs, I mean, I run a very successful club. Rachel runs a very successful club. We have top-notch speakers and it's great. And we love doing our clubs, but I'm the first one to tell you. People come there all the time. And if you're hoping to piecemeal your real estate education together by attending meetup clubs, that is really, really not a good way to go about it. It is extremely difficult. You have to vet the, the credibility of the speakers. It may not be relevant. So piecemealing different clubs and trying to figure this out all on your own, it's really no different than going to the library and buying a bunch of different real estate uh, books and kind of piecemealing all that together too. Like some sort of mentorship or, or a course, or in our case, a system really, really is required and really helps simplify that process for sure. And so the course is called the More Confident Real Estate Investor Course. Is that right? Um, where can people where can people sign up and get registered for it? On mothersofrealestate.com. Mothersofrealestate.com. And and for everyone who does do that, what what are they what are they actually going to walk away with at the end of it? Are they going to have a, basically a step by step process? Is what does that look like? What are they going to walk away with? Jillian, do you want to jump in and uh, give some highlights? Yeah. So it's um. Sure. It's a, so it's an online seven module course um, and it's delivered, uh, it's delivered weekly, right? It's delivered weekly. So it was, it's really our firm belief that if you just get a big data dump that you don't have any time to digest it and think about it. So while you eventually have full access to everything, it comes to you a bit, piece, not piecemeal, but it comes to you in a drip format so that you can think about what you're reading, digest what you're reading, and then act on it in a really stepwise fashion. So, um, you know, it really starts at the beginning, like helping you figure out where you are financially right at this moment. It's really hard to make a plan if you don't know where you are. So it starts with a plan and helping you figure out your why and why are you entering into this. Then it does big deep dives into all the things that you need to do to find um, a market. Where are you going to invest? And, you know, saying you want to invest in Hamilton and you, you can relate to this, Sandy, it's even having a great city isn't necessarily the end of that process. You might need to find a really specific 
submarket, right? In Hamilton, certainly there's streets where you'd never want to buy, even though Hamilton, you know, in general is great. So, you know, we help guide you in finding a niche submarket and finding your submarket, how to do that. Uh, and then it just, it, it goes on from there. So, you know, there's tools and workbooks and worksheets that help you find your market and find your property and then help you evaluate how you're going to choose between three or four great properties that might be out there. What are the things that you really need to look at that don't often or don't always appear on your realtor's selling sheet, right? They don't tell you everything and they don't put everything into their, um, into their listings always. So, you know, so comparison tools. Um, and then once you have a property, how do you protect yourself? How do you get great tenants? How do you maximize cash flow and minimize expenses? I mean, it really is a stepwise course that will, help take out the, the frustrations and the concern and the worry that you might have about either buying your first property or building a portfolio. Um, and it really just gives you a stepwise approach to all of that. So one of the things that, um, if I knew back then what I know now, when I was looking at those Durham rental properties way back when to try to start investing in real estate, all I would see is, is the paperwork that the real estate agent presented me. And, you know, it was just $180 a month in cash flow. Well, guess what? You know, there are ways and means to increase cash flow. There are very specific strategies and, and um, Jillian is a master at doing this with her student rentals. So just because, you know, the bottom line is it coming in at $180 a month, well, don't take that as at face value. So I often, you know, we often say this in our course is that great deals aren't found, they're created. And when I was venturing into the world of rentals, I was only working from the mindset of take it as, as it, it's being presented to me. And I was looking at it and go, well, I can't find a great deal. So I'm just going to bypass this altogether. Imagine what my real estate investing journey would have been like if I jumped into all of those Durham properties and had those Durham rentals under my belt from the very beginning. Um, you know, I would, I would have obviously gone into a totally different direction. So understanding how to create a great deal and how to increase that cash flow is really key. And I think a lot of people underestimate that. So when we talk about you can't find cash flowing properties nowadays, well, Maybe at first glance, they're not cash flowing very well, but if you know what to do and how to do it, you'll be able to create amazing cash flow. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, this is really fantastic guys. And, um, you know, Sandy and I endorsed this course and that is the real reason why we wanted to have you guys back on is uh, because you have this fantastic course to offer. So um, that being said, everyone knows where they can go to get it. And very shortly, uh, the, Sandy and I are going to be working with you in a way on this, like to help you, help you um, I guess, get it out there to more people. And so we'll talk about that soon. And um, I guess I just have a couple more questions for you guys before we go, if that's okay. Great. Now, Sandy and I get a lot of comments from people who write into this show, and they always tell us. And I, we covered this, I guess, for the rent-to-owns, but you know, they're, they're, they tell us that we are too optimistic and that the days of finding cash-flowing properties are over. So what is your opinion on that? There's, there's a lot of ways to find cash-flowing properties. They're just not looking in the right spots. And real estate investing is not about pessimism or, you know, even positivity. It's a business. It's about numbers. It's about systems. And it's about making it work. 
So we can guess, you know, all till the cows come home, what's going to happen or I mean, things are always going to happen. It's you as a business owner of a real estate investment property. How are you going to protect yourself to invest wisely? So if people do the research, like we did discuss in the course, finding areas with strong economic fundamentals, you're almost able to identify yourself with different areas, you know, throughout Ontario, Canada, worldwide, wherever it is, to recognize the opportunities. And you have the tools to input these numbers and take our advice to kind of mitigate your risk factor on this and see where not everyone else is seeing. If you're looking where everyone else is looking, you're never going to be successful in investing in real estate. Now, my number one obstacle was I felt I had to buy the house next door. I live in Markham. House prices are very, very high. Even back then when we started, it was still too high to cash flow a single family property. I didn't know what a duplex was. I mean, we were really early in the game. We were homeowners and we were just getting started on our journey. But at that point, my knowledge was pretty much zero about investing in real estate. And this is for other people out there. It's just too overwhelming. Like I said, it confused my own eye. So if people know what to look for in these growth areas, they can not only find areas that cash flow, but they have to be able to build their real estate model, meaning maybe a single family property won't cash flow in Barrie or Hamilton, but what about a legal duplex or do we need to up it to a triplex or should we focus on student rentals? or rent to owns. If you know the fundamentals, you're able to implement any advanced strategy out there, and you're able to control the um, numbers, regardless of what your mood is that day, tomorrow, next week, or ever. Let's eliminate the motion and just focus on numbers and treat this like a business. And you know what, I think, um, I think you, can, you could probably pick any market and then choose the investment strategy that worked there, and conversely, you could pick any one strategy and find the market that it works in. So if you're not looking to change your strategy, then just find the place where it works. Exactly. Right. Everything is so cyclical, Rob. That's, that's actually a really very important um, thing you're pointing out. Real estate markets are cyclical. Everything goes up, everything goes down. And understanding how to read the cycle is really part of being a strategic real estate investor rather than a reactive one. And people who don't know the fundamentals that Monica was alluding to tend to be in a reactive um, state versus one that, okay, well, this cycle is kind of in its boom days and it's going to be approaching the bust. So as it approaches the bust, then I can plan whether I'm going to go for um, a rent own in that market or a duplex or a flip. There's, you know, you, you basically deploy different strategies. Um, if you're the kind of person that likes to do all different things, or you could be someone like me, I focus only on rent owns in certain markets. Um, for example, the, the Windsor market. For the longest time, the Windsor market was not ideal for rent-to-owns. Now it's going into a different um, cycle, and now there's opportunities to do rent-to-owns in that market. And we're ready because we've been anticipating that market um, to, to be evolving. So it's all about being strategic and knowing how to, to read a market too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that. That's one of those, that's one of those questions where, you know, it just, I think the last show, we were reading some of the emails that people put in and yeah, that was one of them. Somebody said, you know, stop talking about this guys for like most people in Canada, this isn't reality. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, but I think too that you know learning how to read um, a sale like a deal sheet and understanding that there's there's nuances behind that um, that's kind of what our course helps with too it's understanding how to create a great deal so even if Rachel you're talking about this even if the you know your listing agent says you're gonna get $180 cash flow or just you're just gonna be cash flow neutral at 10 bucks well how what are the things that you can do to enhance that deal for you? What are the ways to, you know, get a little bit more juicy revenue out of that house? What are some of the things you can do as a landlord to up the rents or to increase the revenue and decrease those expenses? So, you know, as we say, that great deals are, are created, not found necessarily. Um, and so we have lots and lots of advice on how, on how to do that. Too Even nice. if you can't see it right up front, right? Sometimes yeah, it's there, sometimes it's hidden. Yeah. So it's really going to be a big comprehensive dive into the basics, essentially. It's Absolutely. going to get you, get you, get them started, but in, a, in the right way so they can utilize pretty much any of the strategies that we've talked about. Yeah. But it, you have to realize it starts with the basics to get this comprehensive proven step-by-step -step system. But once they match, master that system and they are a competent investor, there's nothing stopping them from sharing their system with others, even through joint venture partners and growing their portfolio that way as well. So the, the course does, although it's a fundamentals course, it does get as advanced as that towards the end of it. Yeah, it's actually a very good point. So a lot of people start out with real estate without having a, a I, you know, a big stash of cash. I always say that my husband and I, we didn't have a stash of cash. Our money was tied up in our personal residence. We had to pull it out as equity and, um, and then use that to invest. So a lot of people are in a similar boat. They're thinking, well, I don't really have the money to invest. So can I really make this work? Can I even get my first, second, third property? Um, and joint venturing is a great way of doing it. So you can be the you know, the knowledge partner, you can be the sweat equity partner, but nobody's going to partner with you if you don't know what you're doing, because the people that are putting the money in, they're going to defer to your expertise. And if you don't demonstrate that you have expertise and you haven't taken the time to educate yourself, then you're not going to be successful in attracting mm -hmm. money partners. So it all starts with, you know, what role do you want to play? And if you are going to be at the mercy of joint venturing, which is a very viable way to build up your wealth through in real estate, then you got to have the knowledge and do what other people are not willing to spend the time learning. Mm -hmm. So rather than going out and learning it on your own time, mastering your own system, this enables people to really master not one, but two, three investors, successful real estate investors who really have created this um, system. And it's just basically what we've, what we've used and that's all people really need. So why make the mistakes? You could just start investing rather than guessing and going through the trial and error process that we all, had to go through at one one point in our journey. Yeah, so they'll never be in a position to write the same kind of book that Monica and her husband wrote. <laughs> I hope not. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Um, last question, guys. So at the end of the day, I guess, hopefully people will go check out this course. Um, Let's let's give them a little bit of a takeaway of what what one of the most important things I think is that they can learn from the course. And when somebody's looking at purchasing, let's say their very first investment, what do you think is the most important thing that they should know? I think that they need to make sure they're buying properly. That's the first thing they need to know. Wherever where it is they decide to invest, whatever it is they decide to invest in, they need to buy their property confidently and properly. They have to make sure they're not overpaying. They need to finance it properly. We have an amazing module on financing. 
goes very, very deep. Um, and they need to make sure, you know, they know exactly they're not going to lose money on this deal. It's all about mitigating risk. And through these simple step-by-step -step process, it really gives investors an eyes wide open view of investing, especially novice investors, and not to take what real estate agents or mortgage agents are telling you, because I had that experience as well. And I hate to break it to everyone out there, and sorry to all you mortgage agents and real estate agents out there who are listening, but they are salespeople. And they, they're number one, some of them, if you're not with the right agent, they might be focusing more on the sale. And like Jillian said, you know, not listing all the pertinent information that really can make or break your deal. So I think buy correctly is um, the number one tip I would say. I was just going to say, you know, that's what I was just about to say. So I think that that, that sort of uh, comes down to the team because if you're talking about the financing and that, but I guess what I'm getting out of what you said there is you got to have the right team as well that can guide you in the right way. And because we have a module all about this. that as well, building your dream team. <laughs> I know it's been done over and over and over, but this is a rock solid team. And I mean, all of our businesses are thriving because of the teams that we've created. We know what it takes to build teams. I have 11 outside consultants that work all across Ontario. I'm with my team every day. And so having a team is definitely, you know, a huge, huge factor as well. There's also another aspect to it. Surrounding yourself with a you know great team is is critical. But one of the challenges that I also found when I was starting out was that when it, a, a deal comes your way, there you know there's there's a very short shelf life in many cases. Depending on the real estate cycle, deals go quickly. Properties get sold. Multiple offers happen. So there's this kind of anxiousness about like okay. Um, we have this great deal. We got to run the numbers. Oh my God. How do we like, you have to be able to make a decision in a timely fashion so that you don't lose great deals or they don't pass you by. Mm -hmm. And that takes a certain amount of experience and knowledge to have the confidence to, to spot a deal very quickly. You know, I can, in five minutes or less, I can spot a great deal that that's come obviously with partly school of hard knocks, partly with experience but back then i found that it, without having the knowledge without having the training without working with a mentor with whom i learned the ins and outs of rent to owns i wouldn't have been able to be confident enough to pull the trigger fast because fast is sometimes needed in certain market cycles mm -hmm. yeah i i agree absolutely like there has been so many times where um where people <laughs> Um, usually, so people will get back to me in a, a week after we see a place or something like that and say, okay, I'm ready to put an offer on that place. Oh, I have one of my other clients bought it already, you know, um, and that happens quite a bit. So yeah, and I think that's very, very important. Um, wow, guys, I think we've been through a whole lot of information here and I want to thank you guys again for coming on again, really appreciate all three of you making the time to come on. That's, that's amazing. So thanks. Well, thanks, thanks for, thanks for having us. Pleasure. And the website again for the course, com. Correct. Awesome. It, is it all spelled out like that or is it, do you have more.com or? No, it's mothers. Just mothers. Okay. Mothers of real estate.com. Uh, great. Okay. Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Um, info at McKay Realty Network.com or 289-389-6846. Perfect. And you can find me at mrbreakthrough.com. 
Okay, so again, guys, have a great day, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again. Fantastic. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Andy. Right. Thanks. Thank you, guys.